host is going to be bringing the word from out of John chapter 13 and looking at our manifestations of how we love one another, how that looks in the life of the local church, how we do that in the ministries that we do, in particular home groups that we often emphasize, and so he will be speaking on that next week. And then we will, uh, after that, begin a series on the Ten Commandments. We feel like that's a good follow-up to a study of Galatians. We want to be really clear as we come out of Galatians and all of what it says about God's law, that we also understand the the function of God's law, that what purpose it has for us today. And so we will look at that starting in two weeks. When was the last time you wanted to quit something? First service, there was like chuckles immediately. I think people who were like wanting, could think of stuff from just moments ago, right? Last time that you were weary of something that you had to do, job, class at school, some ministry responsibility, some family responsibility, something that you are doing that you felt weary of and exhausted of and wanted to quit. The churches that Paul wrote to in this letter of Galatians, the churches in that region of Galatia, were weary. I think we understand why as we look at their context. These are young believers They are new to to faith in Christ. They have come to faith largely from the preaching of Paul as he traveled through and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they are young in the faith. There is much to learn. There is much doctrine to grasp. There's much ahead of them. Uh, These young believers are also in the process of establishing small local churches in a pretty hostile environment. We live in a country where we enjoy great freedom, but we, we see the pressure coming from outside forces that would challenge at evangelical Christianity and the beliefs of the Word of God, and certainly they were in the midst of that. They were immersed in an environment where most Gentiles believed in paganism and idolatry and had no place for a religion that claimed the exclusivity of believing in one God and only coming to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so they were persecuted for that. They were opposed, as we've seen already, from Jews who argued that what Paul preached was inadequate, that it didn't actually save anyone. We know from the book of Galatians, as well as the narrative in the book of Acts that tell us about Paul and Barnabas' travels there, that they went through and as they preached, they were chased from one town to another. That persecution began with the preaching of the gospel. That There was immediate opposition that would force Paul to leave one town and go on to the other. And so we know that that was just a foretaste of what these young believers expected and experienced as they began planting local churches there. As they gathered... Acts 14 says that Paul and Barnabas not only came through and proclaimed the gospel on their way back through that region, they appointed elders in these churches to help them to get started, to help ground them, and then Paul and Barnabas traveled on, and we know that as soon as they left, false teaching came in. There were opponents of Paul who who followed right on his heels and began to preach, and with subtlety and deception, these Jewish teachers came in and they said, listen, Paul's gospel was incomplete. What what Paul was teaching you, pointing you toward the Jewish Messiah is all well and good, but if you're going to worship the Jewish Messiah, you're going to have to do so our way. You're going to have to come through Judaism and all of the rites and rituals that we interpret from out of the Old Testament law, namely circumcision was the great point of emphasis, but they are are pushing law-keeping now as the means of which one 
pleases God. And so they come in and, and, and essentially say to these Galatians that this gospel that you have heard, that you are trusting in, is not enough. And so you're a young believer, new church, new faith, and now you are being told that this hope that you have put in Christ, this forgiveness that you have been told of, is now somehow inadequate. You're going to have to perform in some way. And so these false teachers have essentially given the narrative, Paul oversold you. If, if you really want to know the God of the Jewish people, then you're going to have to go through all the rites of initiation and follow all the things that we say you should do. And so in light of all that, I think it's not hard to understand that they are weary, that they have been through a great deal in just the early stages of the church. And, and presumably there's conflict as well. Just There's conflict in the normal every day of local churches, and certainly there's conflict in a setting where you've got some believers who no doubt will side with these new teachers who are coming in and some who are saying, no, we, we, we hold to what Paul has preached, and you can imagine some of what's going on. And then you've got brand new elders who are just learning the, the fundamentals of the faith who have been thrust into the middle of a theological controversy over, of all things, justification by faith. I mean, the, the cardinal issue of the Christian church, and they now are in the middle of this debate over how is one made right with God. We can presume that they were weary. On top of all that, the, the external circumstances that are going on is what we've been reading about in Galatians 5 and 6, and that is the the, the constant conflict that you and I as believers today experience as they did that goes on in our own hearts. The battle between the desires of our flesh to please ourselves and the desires of the Spirit to live out a godly life. While we are here on earth, all believers in Jesus Christ are engaged in this unending conflict, this tension between what God's Word calls us to and what our flesh desires. Jeremy alluded to it so well in the call to worship this morning when he read to you from Matthew 11, and just that it, it, our own sin is wearisome, the temptation that comes with our sin, the, 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 the struggle with our own sin. There's times that it just feels exhausting, and so they're dealing with all of this, and it's not hard to believe that they are dealing with weariness, and Paul speaks to that. If you look in Galatians chapter 6, we're at the end of the book of Galatians. We're going to cover from verse 6 all the way down through the end of the book. But I just want you to key in for a moment with me on verses 9 and 10, because I, I think this is sort of the center of this section. This is kind of the heartbeat around which the rest revolves. Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's not grow weary of doing good, of loving others, of, of serving others. Let's continue to persist in doing good for others and not quit. There's a sense in which all of the book of Galatians, for all that it says about the law, and, and the Jewish teachers are the ones who have brought this in and have said the Old Testament law, you got to observe it, you got to follow all of the dictates of it. So there's been so much emphasis on the law in Galatians. There's a sense in which Paul has tried really hard to boil the law down and say, Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled the law. And what he has now said is, the requirement on you and I is love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's that law of Christ portion that we saw last week in in chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He, He has tried very hard to say, stop getting caught up in all in the rituals, the circumcision, any of that stuff. Know this. What Christ has said is your requirement under the law is to love others. It is to love others as you love yourself. That is the fulfillment of the law. Essentially, you can get the doctrine right, and the doctrine's important. You need to understand justification by faith. He does not minimize that. In fact, we've seen a lot of it in Galatians where he has been teaching justification by faith. It is by grace alone that we are saved, by faith alone in Christ and by God's grace. And so he has emphasized the doctrine because there's no hope, there's no salvation apart from faith in Christ. And you can can understand that. You can understand the reality of spiritual warfare that he's been dealing with in in chapters 5 and 6, the the flesh and the spirit and contention. You can know a lot of truth. But the, the young believers in Galatia, there's one thing that he really wants them to grasp at the end, and that is the distinctive the thing that will set you apart, the thing that will be the magnet that will draw people is you live out Christ and love others. You must persist in serving others. You can have all knowledge, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I can know all of these things, and if I have not love, then it's like I am just a noise. I'm just making noise, like a clanging cymbal. He describes it there. And he's saying it here because Paul understood just how hard it is to persist in loving other people. Paul has has ministered and has served, but also knows just how hard it is to keep loving other people. It's a a pastoral joke, and it is purely a joke that that pastors will say when, when they say, you know, I love ministry, it's just the people that are the problem, you know? It's a joke. But we all know that experience. I love my job if it wasn't for the people. You know, I love doing what I love to do if it wasn't for the people that I had to interact with. Paul knows well that this, this call to them to persist is not merely persist in sound doctrine, persist in establishing the local church, persist in doing the activities of the church. This is Do not grow weary in doing good. As you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Don't quit loving other people and serving other people. Now, that's not all Paul wrote. And so what I want to do as we look at the rest of this section is, I I think that's the heart of it, to not abandon your love for the gospel and for the people that God has put in your life. But I think he gives some incentives around this. It's not merely the the command to to keep loving and don't quit, but I I think he gives us some some things to reflect on that give us motivation for that, that give us incentive for that. So I'm going to read the whole section, and then we'll go back and look at a few portions of it. Galatians 6, verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. 
It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This whole section is, is last teaching, benediction, parting words, sort of, with, from Paul. So it's not necessarily one neat unit. There are obviously some closing thoughts that stand alone. There is at least one significant interpretive challenge in this passage that I am going to bypass this morning, and it is in verse 16. There's a couple of things in verse 16, but is that phrase, Israel of God, that commentators will differ on exactly what that means, and the whole structure of the verse is kind of challenging, and as to who Paul is, is making these statements. I'll, I'll give that as some Wednesday night we'll take when, when Bob takes a break in the teaching of the class. We'll, we'll talk about verse 16 a little bit. So if you really want to pursue that, um, we, we can follow that up some more. But I, I do think that there is this coherent theme throughout this closing section that is built around verses 9 and 10 and his plea to them that in, in the midst of all you have been through and in the midst of all that continues to go on, you must persist in loving others. You must persist in being Christ-like and doing good to all, especially to those in the household of faith. And, and he gives some reasons why. Four of them. First one, I, I, I think, stems off of verse 6, and then we'll see a little bit later on. And the first incentive he gives is to remember God's provision. To remember when we are weary, when we feel exhausted, when we feel like, we have reached the end of our rope and we want to quit to remember God's provision, both indirect and direct. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 6 is sort of an indirect example. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This principle goes back to the Old Testament and the priesthood, where when they brought, people brought their sacrifices, a portion of it was shared to supply for the priests. That's how they received their blessing and their sustenance was from the offerings of the worshipers. On to the New Testament preacher, it is your offerings that come and, and, and sustain me, frankly, uh, that, that God uses. That's the channel by which God has declared that he provides for people. One of the ways he does so is, is indirectly, if you will, in that he blesses us with all that we have, and then he calls us to be stewards and to use that for the benefit of others, to help others who are serving, engaged in ministry in whatever way, to help those who are in need. And so in the case of verse 6, he's saying to the Galatian believers, you are God's means of providing for those who are dedicated to the teaching of God's truth. You are to supply for them. This, this principle is several places in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 5.17, those who labor in preaching and teaching are to be provided for by the flock. 1 Corinthians 9.14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 
God provides for us. We, we thank God for our work and our, our, our income, our food, our drink, all of the blessings that we have, and he does so in stewardship that we would then have those things entrusted to us to use for the benefit of others, to serve others and to help them as well. But Paul also speaks to God's direct provision in this passage in his benediction. In verse 16, he speaks of peace and mercy being upon those who walk by this rule. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. These, these kinds of phrases are the ones that we sort of take for granted sometimes, like we do in the introduction, grace to you, grace and peace to you, and we sort of skip over those. But this is God's word. This is God speaking. This is the God who gives grace and peace and mercy. This is the God who supplies these things. And, and, and so this is, this is God assuring us, weary people, people who have been battling sin, people who have perhaps dealt with conflict, this is God saying, I will give you sufficient grace. Rest in me. Trust me for mercy, for, for peace, for my provision to you. We see it all over the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, is God's word. Jesus, John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The greeting in Romans 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is not just wishful sentiment, nice sort of carefree greeting. This is God saying to his people, I long to give you of my grace. I long to pour peace into your life. I am able to do that. I am able to provide these things sufficiently. Hold fast to this truth. When you are weary, when you are feeling like you need to quit, it, it's in those moments that we need to Go back to God's word and say what is true here, and that is God supplies sufficient grace. I need to rest in him. Before I do anything at this moment, I need to at least know the truths of Scripture, of his provision. It's what he says in Philippians 4 when he says to not be anxious for anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving, and what? The peace of God will guard your heart. Peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. He keeps assuring us, I will provide for you. Rest in me. Trust me. I have what you need. When we are weary, when we feel like we have nothing left, when we want to quit, we have a God who knows our needs intimately, longs for us to cry out to him, not to be proud in those moments, but to believe wholeheartedly just go back to the psalmists over and over again, crying out, saying, Lord, I need to know you're here in this moment. I need for you to care for me. I need to know your peace. Just crying out. And that's what he calls us to do, is to believe his word. When we are tempted to be weary of circumstances, we need to remember his provision. Secondly, we need to remember God's justice. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We are, when we're in those circumstances, when we are feeling exhausted, generally speaking, we are, we are living on the horizontal plane where all that we are seeing is 
the circumstances. All that we are seeing are the external sources of pressure and the things that are going on and that, that seem to be weighing on us. And so in those circumstances, we, we see injustice and unfairness and ingratitude. And, and we may be serving and we may even be being striving to be faithful and people around us are not. And we are experiencing hurt and experiencing the, the effects of their sin in our lives. You may have a boss who takes advantage of you. You may serve people who lack gratitude or who not only lack gratitude, they complain about what you're trying to do when you're trying to care for them. You may feel like the Galatians, like you're caught in the middle of a conflict that's been created by someone else's sin and, and, and you've been dragged into this. And in those moments, all I, I tend to see is, is what's happening here. And I, I throw my hands up and I just want to quit because it just seems so unfair, so out of control, so unjust, so fill in the blank. Paul's message here is you are not alone. God is not mocked. This, what's happening to you, what you're experiencing, is not outside of the sight of God, and he is a just God. And you can rest in the justice of God. Even when you are legitimately being wronged and you're tempted to quit, Paul's message is when you're, you're feeling weary and defeated, and maybe it's by someone else's sin, you have not been abandoned by God. God is not mocked. He sees what is happening, and he promises justice. That's the emphasis in verse 7. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We look at it from temporal earthly circumstances, and we don't often see the, the, the justice come. God's word says God is not mocked. If one sows in this direction, they will ultimately, by God's promise, will reap this. In fact, it's not just justice, because if you couple these together, he also speaks of reward. Verse 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There's God's provision, his justice, and his reward. These last two, justice and reward, kind of two sides of, of the same coin, and that is we have an omniscient, omnipresent God who is just. We have been set free to serve. Whole emphasis in Galatians. You have freedom in Christ. You've been set free. Now use your freedom to, to fulfill the desires of the Spirit and to love other people. And as we do, and as we serve in the body of Christ, as we as we follow what he says in verse 9, trying to be doing good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith, not all of those interactions will go well. Uh, some because of our sin and our poor motives will go wrongly. Some will go wrongly because of the other person's sin and motives. And yet, as we seek to love people and that happens, God sees. God is not unjust. God sees when we are wronged. And God says, just rest in me in this because I am not mocked. Now, the Greek word for mocked has the idea of turning your nose up at something is the phrase we would use to, to, to translate that. It's the idea that we have a culture that surrounds us that we know will turn its nose up at God, will hold God in contempt, will look at God in a mocking way. And God says, they may do that, but in the end, I am not mocked because I am the purveyor of justice. And what I do will be just. I will judge according to my will and my word correctly, and I will reward as well because what is planted in the soil will spring forth and be harvested. That should be a tremendous encouragement to you and I in the middle of difficult circumstances to stay 
faithful. We may be on the receiving end of, of someone else's sin, and, and it may not feel like there is any earthly gain in this moment or appreciation of any kind, and yet the message here is persist. Keep in step with God's Spirit, fulfill the law of Christ, love others, and trust that God is just and that he will reward. So even when we face mistreatment as we're serving and not getting the appreciation we'd like, ultimately what we are doing is we are living for an audience of one. We are living before the presence of God. And it is his approval, his reward, his justice that ultimately must drive us because he's the one we ultimately answer to. Verse 8, by the way, is as much as much of a warning as you will find anywhere in the New Testament. It is as much warning as it is exhortation and encouragement. If you look at verse 8 again, it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The word could be decay. It's pointing to death. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 8 is a profound warning that is talking about the pattern of a person's life. If your life is driven by the pursuit of the flesh, if, if your life is driven by pleasing self, doing what I want to do, what feels good to me, and satisfying myself and, and the, the, the things of God and the things of his spirit are, are put off to the side and, and, and are not important, then, then verse 8 is a profound warning. It is a warning that you are moving toward destruction. If the things of the flesh are what draws you and the things of the Spirit of God don't, then it is a profound warning. Uh, one writer put it this way, Timothy George says, The dark side of reality is the certainty of God's judgment, the harvest of destruction and death, the inescapable and eternal outcome of sowing to the flesh. You can go back to the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh in, earlier in chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and so if, if what characterizes your life is fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, strife, impurity, whatever those the, the things were, if that's what's characterizing you and the fruit of the Spirit is absent, the love and joy and peace and, and patience, the sacrifice for others, then verse 8 is meant to warn you and say, don't, don't go calling yourself Christian and saying everything's just fine if you are sowing to the flesh continuously because that is sowing to destruction. It is a warning for us to keep in step with God's spirit because God is just. As he sees the, the sin and the wrong and punishes it, so also he sees the, the service and the sacrifice and the love and he promises to reward it because what is sown is reaped. For believers knowing Knowing that God is the one who assures that what is sown is reaped should give us great confidence. You plant things, right? You, you watch them grow. I've got little cherry tomatoes that are out front, and I, I check those cherry tomatoes every day. I'm looking for, I don't water them every day. My wife can, will remind me of that. She's faithful in watering them. So there, I'm, I'm the guy who just picks the fruit, right? But I look for those little cherry tomatoes, and, and I love those little cherry tomatoes. They take a long time. I mean, it feels like, Months, you know, and we're finally starting to get them. What Paul says here is that that planting, sowing, reaping thing doesn't, doesn't, isn't going to just happen like this, Galatians. It's not, it's not all going to just be fixed. It's not always going to seem immediately just. It's not going to work out the way you want it every time. But you must trust the God that you believe in who is just. Because he is the one who will not be mocked. And he assures that what is sown is also reaped. 
We need to not lose sight of the certainty that we rest in a God who has promised eternal rest and reward for his people. And that eternal rest and reward will make the, the moments of weariness and exhaustion in this life seem fleeting in comparison to being with him and resting in him for eternity. Last one, look at verse 11 again. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This is, this is Paul, just kind of a separate note here a moment. This is just Paul saying, this is authority. This is the same thing he started, remember, at the beginning of Galatians. If you remember the very beginning, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men. I haven't been appointed by some committee. I'm an apostle of God through Jesus Christ, and I am speaking to you on the authority God has given me in Christ. So when he says here, See with what large letters I'm writing. This is just Paul's way of saying, this is me, and I am speaking as God's representative to you. I am speaking as an apostle. It could, it, it, commentators will speculate it has something to do with his eyesight at this point, that he used large letters because of poor eyesight. We don't know that because it doesn't say it in the text. What we do know is this is Paul's way of saying, this is me. I want you to be clear about this, and here's what I'm saying to you. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh talking about the false teachers who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation." talked about God's provision, his justice, his reward. The last incentive he gives to us when we are weary and it is hard to press on and we know we're called to serve and love others, this last incentive is God's gospel. It is the, it is the preaching back to ourselves, the cross of Jesus Christ and remembering what our Savior has done. In verses 12 and 13, he says, here's the worldly incentives. Here's what the false teachers are striving for. They, they want two things. They want to boast in your flesh. In other words, they want to boast in numbers. They want to be able to say, look, all these people are obeying us. This is our interpretation of the law, and they're doing what we say, and so they want to boast in numbers. And secondly, he makes it clear in verse 12 that the other reason they do what they do is in order that, at the end of verse 12, they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They have seen what happens to those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have seen the suffering at the hands of Gentiles and at the hands of their own colleagues, and they want no part of that. They've looked at Paul, and they've seen that preaching the gospel often leads to suffering and to persecution. And he says, they are preaching a lie to you, A, because they want a crowd, and B, because they want to avoid suffering. They just want that crowd and all the benefits that come with it, and they don't want any experience of suffering. Paul has already said, if you remember down verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Here is Paul who has been persecuted, who came to Galatia with the scars of having been beaten elsewhere. And Paul is saying, I, I understand this. I understand what it is. He's not boasting because he's already made it clear. There's only one thing I have need to boast in, and that's the cross. So I'm not bragging about this, but he's saying, I, I understand that when I appeal to you, to follow Christ and to serve Christ and to proclaim the gospel of Christ and, and love others, that you may suffer for it. I, I can tell you that from experience because I bear in my body the marks, and he describes them as the marks of Jesus. 
He's saying it wasn't just, I didn't just get beaten because of who I was. I got beaten because of the gospel that I preached, because of Jesus Christ, because they rejected him. And so Paul is very understanding at this point that part of what the false teachers are avoiding is the very suffering that Paul has experienced for preaching the gospel. And so no small part of his answer to we who would complain and say, I am just weary of serving other people. I am tired of loving other people. No small part of his answer is, listen, are you finding that there's a cost to following Christ? Of course there's a cost to following Christ. Look at what your Savior did. He gave his life as a ransom. He was rejected by men. He suffered, and he said those who follow after him would be suffering as well. And so he's saying it here again. These marks that he bear are just evidence we should not be surprised that we suffer for the sake of the gospel. That's the heartbeat to this. Not suffering for just anything, but for far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. His point is... The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. We have now been set free from the dominion of the world, from the the world's slavery over us, from the world's lure to us. We have been set free from its dominion, and the reason we have been set free is because of the cross of Christ. I I don't want to boast in anything but the cross because it is through the cross that I have been set free. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that has made me a new creature. And that's why in verse 15, he's saying, circumcision, uncircumcision, some of you are bragging that you have, some of you are saying, well, we haven't, so we must be good. No, that, that doesn't matter. He says, what matters is the new creation, and the new creation is the work of Christ on the cross. It is because of what Jesus did that you and I now are made new creatures in Christ because of the finished work of our Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, Paul wrote, For as by a man came death, speaking of Adam, and fall into sin, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The death and resurrection of Christ is the basis for the new creation. And so we who are trusting in Christ hold to the gospel, and that's what we boast in, because that is, the, that is our hope, that is where our life now rests, in Christ. F.F. F. Bruce wrote, the fullness of the new creation belongs to the future, but to those in Christ it is already realized through the Spirit. The best part is still yet to come, and being in eternity in the presence of our Savior Jesus Christ still lies ahead of us. But by the work of the Spirit, He's already mediating Christ's presence to us and in us. We are already experiencing the benefits of being new creatures in Christ, able to reject sin, able to keep in step with God's Spirit. And so Paul's point here is nothing else, no other religious accomplishment counts for anything. That's why he's dismissing circumcision and uncircumcision. If there's one thing that you and I should want people to know about us, it is that we depend on Christ. We we are not self-sufficient. We are resting in what Christ has done on his finished work on the cross. He has paid our debt, and we are now empowered by his spirit to love and serve others. And so when we do serve others. 
when we, we do press on and we don't quit, that's just his grace through the gospel being poured out on us. And that gives us more chance to boast back in the cross and in the Savior and in what he's done. The world and its inherent selfishness, he says, has been crucified to me. You're no longer under its dominion. By the work of Christ on the cross, you are now decisively set free to live as Christ, to live in, in loving others and caring for others. Uh, borrow Paul's language from 2 Corinthians 4, because I think it, it, it applies here. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He's saying, there's life as a believer in Jesus Christ. There's going to be times when it's weary and it's exhausting. It's going to feel hard and you're going to suffer and there's pain. But he says, we're not, we're not destroyed we're not given over to despair because we believe that the life of Christ is being manifested in our body. And that's why he goes on in 2 Corinthians 4 and he says, this is why we do not lose heart. Yes, we experience suffering. Yes, Galatians, it's not all going to go perfectly from here. You're in the middle of it right now and it feels hard. Rest in Christ. We will, experiencing, we will experience suffering and weakness on this side of eternity but we should love and serve others. Don't quit, he says. Keep doing that because you know that we are living for the sake of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in this moment, but for the life to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this book of Galatians and for its practical instruction to us, for speaking to us about the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the wonders of a people being set apart and saved simply by trusting in what Jesus has done. Lord, if there's anyone listening this morning who is still caught in that endless spiral of trying to find a way to prepare for the afterlife by good works, earning something, hoping that maybe somehow they will get on the right side of the ledger by virtue of their works or their thoughts, Lord, we pray today that, that what would be clear again and again from your word is that there is only hope in Christ, that Jesus Christ took our sin on himself, suffered on the cross in our place, bore the wrath that we deserve from you, the just wrath for our sin, and that he now offers a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And he now offers forgiveness and hope Lord, pray that we as believers this week would be well aware of the exhortations in this passage, striving to not grow weary in doing well, but believing that for this season we are sowing, we are planting, and that the harvest in your good time and your provision will come. Give us the strength by your spirit, the grace by your enabling, the truth of your word to help us to press on, to be faithful, to not grow weary, to not lose heart, but to persist knowing that one day this path ends in your presence in eternity, standing before you. We are eager for that day, eager to serve you faithfully here and now, to live out 
the gospel of Christ and the glory of Christ in our bodies now, but also knowing that this is, this is fleeting and that we will one day stand in your presence. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.